are listening to a sermon from Sojourn Church in Fairfax, Virginia. We hope that this is an encouragement to you, no matter where you find yourself on your spiritual journey. If you're not already, we would encourage you to connect to your local church. If you'd like to find out more about Sojourn in particular, please visit our website at sojournfairfax.com. May God bless you now as you listen to the preaching of his word. Hey, good morning, church. Uh, It is good to gather with you in a different kind of way today. Uh, I know that we are living in some strange times and uh, there's a lot going on and a lot of new things happening here and there. I'm grateful that even as we're not able to gather together like we normally do uh, this Sunday morning, that we have technology and can continue uh, just to gather around God's word today. Uh, And so we'll keep you posted on how we're going to continue to just work through all of this over the coming days and weeks as more information comes out and and all of those things. But before we jump into our sermon this morning, I just wanted to encourage you with something I mentioned in uh, the email to the members and posted online as well. And that's just that I want us to live in that place where we're walking in wisdom and also walking in faith and not fear, not foolishness that we just continue to trust God. And there's a lot of people around us right now that are are struggling with fear, maybe even some of you, uh, and some of us that are being a little flippant with this. Uh, We just want to walk in wisdom in the midst of this. And I was reminded of a verse in Isaiah chapter 41, it may be familiar to you, uh, where Isaiah is writing and he's speaking on behalf of the Lord and he says this, Isaiah 41, 10, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Isaiah is writing to a group of people that are living in the midst of uncertainty. And this is about God's character. It's not saying God's going to fix everything. He's going to make everything better the way that we would want. But we can trust him in the midst of it. So I just want to encourage you as we continue to walk in this strange time of uncertainty that your faith will be rooted in who God is. Okay, so we're going to spend some time now just diving into John. Uh, So let me pray for us and then we'll jump in. So let's pray. Father, we just give you thanks. Uh, that we can trust you in the midst of everything that's going on. And God, there's a lot of uncertainty right now uh, in our own hearts and lives, in the midst of our community, uh, our our country, and the world right now. And God, we do pray that you would bring peace uh, to our hearts and minds, peace to uh, the world right now, that where there's anxiousness and fear, that you would calm and quiet that before you. And God, help us to trust you. Help us to be a, a representative of you as we talk with other people about what's going on. And we do also pray, God, that you would bring an end to the spread of this virus, uh, that you would save lives, and that through this, God, that you'd get glory and praise. And I pray for my brothers and sisters now as we gather in our homes uh, to open up your word, to continue just to pursue Christ, that we might see Jesus. I pray that as we dive into your word now in John 4, that you would just continue to help us to fix our gaze on King Jesus and that we would see our lives conformed more and more to who he is, that we might honor you and glorify you. So Holy Spirit, we pray that you'd fill us right now. We pray that you'd help us to be attentive to what you want to say to us and that we'd be faithful and honor and glorify you in everything we think, say, and do. So bless this time now, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. You know, this past Tuesday, uh, my son Isaac and his class, his kindergarten class, had this day called Race Car Day with Dad. And what we had to do is we had to build a Pinewood Derby car and just to race it down the track and have fun together. Uh, And so if you've ever seen those before, it was a fun adventure to put that together. Bram helped us build it uh, and everything. But if you know Isaac, Isaac lives life at full tilt. He's a passionate kid. If you've spent any time with him, you know that. And so it wasn't a surprise to me that the night before race day, he said, I can't wait for tomorrow. This is going to be the best day of my life. Now, maybe that was a little bit of an overstatement, but his enthusiasm for what was going to happen uh, is compelling. I mean, why don't I get as excited about things as he does in life? 
And I think all of us can relate at some level at different points in time in our life. We've been super enthusiastic about something. We've really been excited about it. And generally what happens is, is when you're excited about something, when I'm excited about something, we can't help but tell other people about our excitement. We tend not to keep it to ourselves. Well, last week we jumped back into the sermon series that we started in the fall in the Gospel of John called Seeing Jesus. And the goal of this sermon series is that we want to see Jesus rightly so we might follow Jesus fully in the midst of our life. That we put away any misconceptions or things that we're thinking about Christ that aren't actually true, but kind of in a fresh way that we'd fix our eyes on Jesus, that we'd look to him and see him for who he truly is. And last week, we looked at the encounter that Jesus has with the Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 4. And so today, we're going to come back to that. And we're jumping back into that story, kind of part two, to what's going on in the midst of this interaction, this encounter that this woman has with Jesus. And like Isaac, this woman could have said, this is the best day of my life. And it would not have been an overstatement for her at all. Something significant has happened to her, and she can't wait to tell other people about it. She can't keep it to herself. So here's the deal. This is what we're going to see in our text today. What we are captivated by, what we're captivated by compels us to tell others about it. What we're captivated by compels us to tell others about it. And my hope for us, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, is that we will, like this woman, invite others to come and see the Savior, that we'll invite others to come and see the Savior, not out of duty, but out of our own personal delight in Jesus. And listen, if you're not yet following Jesus, maybe just kind of checking out who he is, my hope for you this morning is that you'll hear the words of Jesus this morning as he speaks to the Samaritan woman, as he speaks to the people around her and the disciples, and you also will see who he is and what he's done for you. So with that, let's dive into John chapter 4 this morning, and may you see Jesus, may we see Jesus more clearly today. We're going to pick up where we left off last week in John chapter 4, verses 27 through 42. I want to go ahead and read them for us now, so if you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to that. John says this, starting in verse 27, Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, What do you seek, or, or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, 
For we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. This woman's life has been radically altered. She's been seeking life and, and satisfaction in other things besides God. And for her in particular, as we saw last week, she's seeking life. She's seeking satisfaction in men and in relationships. But instead of that giving her life, instead of that satisfying her, sustaining her inner satisfaction, it's just been a broken cistern after broken cistern after broken cistern. She's tried to hold water, tried to hold life in the midst of these things, and it's just been leaking out, leaving her broken and alone. But in God's kind providence, in the midst of her life, when she comes to a well in the middle of the day to get water, seeking to avoid people, avoid the people that have put things on her and talked about her, the shame that she feels in the midst of that, in God's providence, she encounters Jesus, and Jesus offers her living water living water that's found in and through him, water that will never run dry. See, what Jesus is inviting her to do is to find life in him, to find satisfaction in him, the one who is the Messiah, the Redeemer, who has come to rescue his people from their sin. And as we saw last week, the pieces are starting to click into place for her, and she is becoming captivated by Christ. And that's, it's at that point that we kind of pick up where we left off Last week, in verse 27 and 28, the scene widens now in this encounter. It's just been Jesus and this woman up to this point. But what we see is the scene widens to include more participants in the midst of this story. And what John does here is he starts to set up a comparison between the woman and Jesus' disciples. Look at verses 27 and the beginning of verse 28 again. It says this, Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman but no one said, what do you seek or, or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town. So the disciples come back from town. They've just gone off into the midst of the town to find food. If you remember from last week, they were in Jerusalem and now they're making their way to Galilee and they have to pass through this area of Samaria. And so they've, they've gone to get food. Jesus is by the well waiting for them to come back. But they return and they find Jesus and he's not just talking to a woman, he's talking to a Samaritan woman. And we, we talked about this last week. This would have been super unusual for lots of different reasons. It would have been unusual for a Jewish man to speak to a woman alone. And on top of that, the fact that she's a Samaritan. The Jews looked down on the Samaritan people, seeing them as not fully Jewish. And so there was prejudice and, and uh, disdain for these people. But in the midst of their astonishment, they don't open their mouths. They don't ask Jesus what he's doing or why he's talking with her. And their response or their kind of lack of response is insightful. It's insightful for, to their prejudices and just the prejudices of the day how women were viewed and how women were treated, how people of different ethnicities were treated. But you know what? Jesus is always up to stuff. And Jesus is bringing the fullness of the kingdom of God to bear on the lives of his people. And Jesus's kingdom is upside down. It's inverted from the way that the world thinks and operates. And so Jesus is breaking a mold here. He's giving value to this woman. He's giving value to her ethnicity simply by speaking to her simply by talking to her, because she too is an image bearer of God, and because of that is inherently valuable to Jesus. So we look at the scene, and, and, and no one's speaking. Everyone just looks kind of like they're standing around, like the disciples come back, and they're just kind of looking at Jesus, and Jesus doesn't say anything. The woman doesn't say anything. They're just kind of standing around. No one 
talking, but the woman can't stand around. She, she leaves her water jar and she goes back into town. Now, why is she leaving? Is it because she's intimidated by these men coming? Is she overwhelmed by the disciples' presence? No, she's leaving to go share good news. Look at verses 28 and 29 again. It says, So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? This is absolutely amazing. The woman doesn't leave the water jar because she's afraid. She doesn't leave the water jar because she's forgetful. She leaves it because she's ecstatic. She, she's so excited and she has to go tell someone. And so she hurries back into town to proclaim, come and see, come and see a man who knows everything about me. He told me everything I ever did. This man knows me. He knows me fully. He knows me completely. Can this be the Christ? Can this be the Messiah, the rescuer and the redeemer that we've been looking for? And she begins to evidence genuine, though new faith, incomplete faith, small faith, but faith nonetheless of going and telling others, come and see Jesus. Come and see Jesus. And what an amazing picture of life change we have right here. I mean, think about what's going on here. This woman who has come to this well in the middle of the day, in the heat of the day, alone to avoid people. What does she do when she encounters Christ? She hurries back to that very town, to those group of people who she's been avoiding because of her sin and because of her shame. People who have likely been rude to her, who have turned a cold shoulder towards her, who have gossiped and talked about her behind her back. She goes back to those people to tell them about Jesus. I mean, she can't help it. She's captivated by him. And because of that, she's compelled to tell others about him. She doesn't have all the answers yet. She, she doesn't have exhaustive knowledge about Jesus. She doesn't know everything about him, but she's overflowing in excitement. She's overflowing in excitement because she's realizing that everything she has looked for in life, real life, lasting life, eternal life is found in Jesus. Now what happens? Look at verse 30. It says, they, talking about the people from the town, they went out of the town and were coming to him. Her exclamation about coming and seeing Christ was so compelling that they just, they respond and they start to follow and they go with her back to see Jesus. And I mean, this is amazing to think about. I mean, they didn't write her off. This is a woman who's kind of an outcast within her community. They don't write her off. They don't dismiss her. They don't even really ask her any questions. They take her at her word and they came to see who it is that she's talking about. What she's captivated by compels her to tell others about it, about him. But it's at this point that John wants us to see that not everyone is captivated by Jesus like she is. Not everyone's captivated by Jesus in the same way. Look at verses 31 through 38. The disciples come back into view. It says, Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months? Then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. And what's going on here? 
It seems as if the disciples are, are way more concerned with Jesus eating than what Jesus is up to. And remember, they've just come back and they've seen Jesus talking to this Samaritan woman by himself. They ask no questions. And their first response to Jesus when she walks away is, hey, you need to eat some food. They're, they're missing something here. I mean, it's a perfect time to ask questions. It's a perfect time to listen and learn from Jesus. But instead, they just urge him to eat. But here's the deal. Even if they're not interested in what Jesus is up to, Jesus is always purposeful and he's always teaching. And so he brings them into what he's doing and what he's up to. Food, Jesus says, I have food you don't know about. The disciples are kind of questioning that, like what in the world's going on? And, and we may read that and think, well, Jesus, is, is he trying to annoy them? Is he trying to frustrate them here? Why does he just tell them what's going on? Because Jesus is leading them. He's leading them to see the bigger picture of what's going on around them, to lift up their eyes and see how God is at work, that God is at work to rescue and redeem. And they're confused by his comment. Did someone bring him something to eat? Just like Nicodemus was when he was said that you have to be born again to enter the kingdom of God, just like the woman is when Jesus says, I have living water, and she says, you don't even have anything to get water with. They're only thinking about the physical world. Jesus draws them in to teach them. And in a gentle way, he, he draws them in to rebuke them. My food, my food is to do the will of God. See, Jesus is living out the reality of Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. A verse that he quotes to Satan when Jesus is in the midst of the desert, being tempted by Satan as he fasts and is alone. And, and, and Satan tells Jesus, just, hey, if you're hungry, just turn this stone into a loaf of bread. And Jesus responds to him with this truth from Deuteronomy 8.3. It says this, And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know. Why? That he might make you know, that he might make you know, that God might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. See, Jesus is putting on display this reality. Food is important. It needs to be something that we have to sustain Life, But Jesus is saying here, listen, what ultimately satisfies me, what ultimately sustains me, what ultimately fuels me isn't food and drink. It's to do the will of God who sent me, to sent me to you to rescue people from every tribe, language, and nation. So the woman is captivated by Jesus and she's compelled to tell others about him. But the disciples who have been captivated by Jesus... We can go back and flip a few pages in, in the Gospel of John and see that when Jesus invades their life, when he comes into their life, that they're captivated by him. They drop everything and they go after him. They follow him. But in this moment, it seems like they're not quite captivated as much by Jesus anymore. Instead, they find themselves distracted by temporal things. And in that, they don't see what, they don't see who is right before them. People in need of rescue. People who need to come and see the Savior. They're not compelled to see a town full of people that need to know that the King has come and the kingdom of God is at hand. And perhaps they're tempted, like all of us can be, to think, you know what, I know those people need to know Christ. I know those people need to know Jesus, but, but there's time. We'll get to that. There's always tomorrow. And while they can't think that, we can't think that we can convince someone to know Christ, that we can't argue them into the kingdom of God. Jesus is what he's trying to tell them in the midst of this is don't wait. 
Don't think that there's time. Don't believe that tomorrow will definitely come. God is at work and people are ready to be saved right now. So Jesus urges them and he urges us as his followers to open up our eyes, look around and see, see God's true harvest. The people around them in need of rescue, the people around them in need of redemption. This next part we read in, uh, in John 31 through 38, it can be a little bit confusing. This part where he talks about reaping and sowing, wages and gathering, it can seem a little bit confusing. But what he's reminding them of, what he's reminding us of, is that this is what God has been working toward since sin entered the world. If we go all the way back to Genesis and read throughout the scriptures, we see God working this plan of redemption to call people to himself, to overcome their sin and rebellion and bring them back into relationship with him. See, the work of sowing has happened throughout history through prophets, priests, and kings. We see it even in John the Baptist and his disciples that he's proclaiming, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, that someone greater than me is coming and he will be the rescuer and redeemer. And now that person that all of those people have pointed to, that we look through all the pages of the scriptures that are always pointing to Christ, he's here, he's in their midst. Now is the favorable time. Now is the day of salvation. Jesus is saying the harvest is ready. The wages are there. Let no one hang back. Let no one hang back. He's inviting the disciples to participate with him in doing the work and will of God. He's inviting them to see God rescue and redeem men and women from every tribe, every language, and every nation. So what happens? Look at verses 39 through 42. It says, Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Many people believed. They heard this woman's testimony about Jesus and they believed. And when they come to Jesus, they ask him to stay and to, to share and teach them on his own so they can continue to learn from him directly. And what's the result? Many more people believed because of his word. Revival is happening. Spiritual awakening is taking place. People are beginning to follow Jesus. And Jesus spends time with them and, and he shares his words with them. And this is likely uh, similar to what happened when those two disciples encountered Jesus on the Emmaus Road. After Jesus has been crucified and raised again from the grave, these two disciples are walking along and they don't quite know what's happened and they encounter Christ. And it says that Jesus opened up the scriptures and he showed them through Moses and the prophets how they all pointed towards him. Jesus is pointing the people of Samaria in this village towards him, showing them how scripture has continued to point towards him. The disciples are seeing all this. They're watching this crowd of people come out of this town to encounter Christ themselves. The harvest that Jesus spoke of is right before their eyes. I mean, do you remember the purpose of John's gospel that we've been talking about throughout this series? Is He's writing this gospel account. He's writing about who Jesus is so that you might believe. The Samaritans are evidencing genuine belief, growing faith. They believe without a miracle. They believe without a sign but by the woman's testimony and Jesus' word, they declare that Jesus is the Savior of the world. 
We could go back to John chapter 3, verse 16, the familiar verse for a lot of us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. John chapter 3, verse 36. John writes there, whoever believes in the son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. The whoever in John 3.16, the whoever in John 3.36 really does mean anyone in the world. There's not some category or hierarchy. It's the thing that we see on display here is that God desires to save people from every tribe, every language, every nation, and he's doing it through the faithful testimony of his redeemed people. People who are captivated by Christ are compelled to tell others about him. People who are captivated by Christ are compared to tell others about him. So let me ask you a question this morning. When you look at your own life, who are you most like? The Samaritan woman or the disciples? Who are you most like? Are you compelled, if you look at your life right now, are you compelled to share the gloriousness of the gospel with the people that God has put before you in your life? Do you see people around you like God sees them? That this is a harvest ready to be reaped, that people are ready to be saved? John Piper, who was a a pastor up in Minneapolis and an author, famously wrote this. Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. In other words, seeing people come to know Christ. Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exists because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. And we saw last week, what did Jesus say to the woman? He said, the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. See, the goal isn't to reach more people with the gospel just for the sake of salvation. No, it's to see people cross from death to life in order to see God rightly and to get Him to experience true joy and true life in Him, resulting then in overflowing worship, resulting then in overflowing adoration for who God is and what He's done. But here's the flip side of that reality for us that we need to think about. If missions exist because worship doesn't, and we look at our own lives and we see no mission, that we're not going and telling other people about Jesus, we have to ask ourselves, why? Why is that the case? Might it be because worship doesn't exist in us? Because we're not captivated by Christ. See, worship which begins and ends with being captivated by Christ, is not only the goal of missions, it's the fuel for mission. It's the fuel for going and telling others. And so right now, if you look at your own life, if you're not engaged in the harvest, if you're not compelled to tell other people to come and see the Savior, you don't have a mission problem, you have a worship problem. See, the woman was captivated by Jesus. And so she ran back to the people and place that she'd been avoiding for so long in her life. She ran back to them because everything had changed for her when Christ invaded her life. The disciples had been captivated at one point. But in this moment, that captivated idea that being focused on Christ seems to have waned. They're distracted. 
And they're not even just distracted by something bad, right? It's, it's okay to eat food, but that becomes the focal point of their life. And in the midst of that, they miss the opportunity that Jesus has given to them to be with him and see others to come know and follow him too. Man, might that be true for us, for some of us at least, that we would declare that Jesus is central to our life, but the day-to-day reality of our life, if we look at our life, we find ourselves distracted at best and, and apathetic towards God and others at worst. And the reality is, if that isn't true for you right now, we have to be on guard that it might not be true for us tomorrow. The title of this sermon is Come and See the Savior. And that's what we're called to do. To go to our neighbors, to go to the nations and announce, declare, proclaim, invite anyone and everyone. Come, come and see our Savior. If you haven't yet believed in Him, come and see Him. But the reality is, the call to come and see the Savior is for us as well. It's not just for people who don't yet believe. Because you and I will not be compelled, we will not be compelled to tell anyone about him if we aren't continuing to look to him. If we aren't finding ourselves captivated by him, our God, our King, our Savior, in all of his beauty and majesty and grace. So let me encourage you this morning, if you find yourself, if you're taking an honest look at your own life and you don't see yourself being captivated by Christ, enthralled with who Jesus is, Let me encourage you this morning to turn away from distraction and fix your eyes and your heart once again on Jesus. Come and see the Savior who knows you fully and loves you completely. And then, then allow that to fuel mission for you. Allow that to compel you to tell the world about your Redeemer. There's just as much urgency today to do this as there was with the Samaritans. People all around us right now who don't know their need to be rescued. Their hearts and minds have been blinded by the enemy to not recognize that they think maybe everything's okay, but don't see that the bridge is out ahead. And I think we're we're experiencing an an opportunity right now as Jesus' people in our world that your neighbors and your coworkers right now, a lot of them are experiencing fear because things that they thought were all good and okay are being rattled with what's going on with the coronavirus. The things that they found security in life and hope in are being shaken to the core right now. And so people are asking questions right now. Are we, as God's people, going to step into that and say, I have hope, I have faith, I trust in my God because I know that he's in control. Come, come and see the Savior. Come and see the King. See, people's fear and uncertainty will be put away replaced by faith only if we will go, just like this woman, to tell them how Jesus has changed our lives and how he can change their life too. See, we have to remember, our personal stories are an important part of seeing people come to know Christ. But our personal stories are only helpful if they point to Christ and and what he has done in our life, what he is doing in our life. Ultimately, we want someone to come and see Jesus, not us. Now, there's something else I think that's interesting about this text that we can learn from this text about ourselves and about others. And that's that Jesus is modeling local and global mission to us. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus, after he's been raised from the grave, comes to his disciples and he gives them this vision. He gives them a vision for the mission he's called them to. He says, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And we see Jesus doing that. 
He was in Jerusalem and he spoke to Nicodemus, telling him that in order to enter the kingdom of God, one must be born again. And later on, we see Nicodemus believes. He went into the Judean countryside and John the Baptist exalted Christ even more in that moment. And many more began to follow him. And here he is in Samaria and the woman has believed and this whole town now has come out and they seem to have placed their faith in Christ. So now it's clear the gospel is for all people. So let's go as God's people and proclaim to our neighbors and the nations, come and see the Savior. But we, like the Samaritan woman, we have to go. Something, something we can just sit back and wait for. There's a Hershey's ad that came out uh, not too long ago. And it said that only 31% of Americans know their neighbors. Only 31% of Americans know their neighbors. So if you're captivated by Christ, you're thinking, okay, good. I want to focus on Jesus. I need to get my heart right and back focus on him, being captivated by him. And you're captivated by him and you find yourself being compelled to tell others about him. Is there anyone for you to actually go tell? Do, do you know the people around you that God has placed in front of you more than just simply saying hello? And if you don't, let me exhort you to, to make a step to see that change. Take a step to get to know the people that God has put in your life. Maybe it's your coworker, maybe it's your neighbor that literally lives next door to you, that you'd actually take time to get to know them as a human being, as a person, so that in genuine love and care for them, you invite them to come and see your Savior. Like the woman, you don't have to have exhaustive knowledge about Christ. You don't have to know everything there is to know about theology. You just have to know that Jesus has changed your life and believe that he can change their life as well. So do you have a sense of urgency? Do you have a sense of urgency or do you trust? Well, there's always tomorrow. Maybe for some of you that are watching, that are listening this morning, maybe you find yourself not being like the Samaritan woman, not being like the disciples, but instead find yourself being like the people from that Samaritan village. And you're recognizing even now in this moment that you don't really know this Jesus and what he's done for you. If that's you, I want you to listen to me and I want you to listen to other people that you know that do know Jesus. Listen to their stories. Jesus has radically transformed our lives. I wish I had time even this morning to just share life change stories. There are men and women in our community, within Sojourn Church, that lives have been radically transformed. Their testimonies are astounding. Jesus really does raise men and women from death to life. So as you hear those stories about life change, if you don't yet know Christ, listen to those, but then listen to Jesus, the one who says to you, come to me, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest, eternal rest, real life are available to you through Christ, through his life, his perfect life, through his sacrificial death on the cross and his glorious resurrection. He died and rose again for you. So if you don't yet know Christ, will you respond like the Samaritans and declare along with them and along with us as followers of Jesus, this is the Savior of the world. If you're ready to start a relationship with Christ, tell God that. Turn away from sin and tell him you need to be rescued and then let somebody around you know who is already know, knowing and following Christ so they can help you with that. And church, let's, let's celebrate Let's share with one another when we see God at work in someone's life. Our belief, our own belief, our own captivation with Christ will be fueled by seeing others believe. Because when you are enthralled with Jesus, you can't help but tell others to come and see him. So brothers and sisters, let's fix our eyes and set all of our affection on 
King Jesus, who came to rescue and redeem you, and then go tell the world of our Redeemer. Now, normally, at this point in our gathering together, we would take communion with one another. But obviously, because we're in the situation we're in and these difficult and current circumstances we find ourselves in, we're not going to be able to do that today. And so here's what I want you to do instead. If you're a follower of Christ, if your faith is truly in Christ, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take time this morning to think of one person, one person that you know right now that God's bringing to your mind that doesn't yet know Christ. And I want you to pray for that person by name today. And I want you to commit to pray for them by name until Easter. It's about a month away. Just continue to pray, God, would you give me an opportunity to invite them to come and see Jesus? And would you be working in their hearts to help them to see their need for Jesus? I mean, church, what might it look like if all of us spent time praying for just one person, just one person by name, that they would experience this life change that the Samaritan woman has experienced and now her village has experienced. So take time even now to think through that and pray through that. And if you don't yet know Christ, I want to encourage you this morning to think on who Jesus is and what he's done. I want you to pray to God and be honest with him. If you're wrestling right now and you have questions or you find yourself skeptical, tell God that. Or if you're ready to take Christ, tell God that as well. And then what I want to encourage you to do is just respond in worship and whatever that looks like for you this morning. We have songs on the Spotify playlist. You can listen to those and sing along. Maybe you're with a group of people or a roommate or your spouse or your kids right now. Just take some time to process and pray through what God's shown you in and through his word this morning and respond in praise to him today. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks once again just for the gift it is to be known by you. God, we give you thanks for the gift it is to be rescued and redeemed through the work of Christ. And God, we give you thanks once again, that we have the opportunity, even though we're in a difficult and trying time as a community and as a country and as a global community, God, that we have even technology that we can hear God's word preached today, even as we still exist as the church just scattered throughout Fairfax this morning. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters. Would you help them to recognize where maybe they have waned and they're being captivated by Christ, but would you regain their attention and their hearts. Would you captivate them afresh this morning? And as we are all captivated by Jesus, as we fix our eyes on him, God, I pray that you would compel us to go and tell others about him. Give us opportunities. Help us to see that there are opportunities before us every moment of every day and that the field is white for harvest. God, would you bring men and women in and around us, our coworkers, our neighbors, our friends, our family members, would you bring them to you? And as we invite them to come and see Jesus, God, would you bring spiritual awakening to those around us? Would you bring revival here in this place? We might see more and more people cross from death to life. And God, I pray for those that, that don't yet know you, would you awaken their hearts to the gospel this morning? May they see their need for Christ. God, unite us together, even as we're scattered throughout the community, unite us together in Christ. And I pray that in the midst of all that's going on, that you would get glory, you would get honor, you would get praise, and more people would come to know you. Thank you for your grace that sustains us and changes us. Draw us into your presence. And may Christ be King and Lord of our life. We pray all this in his name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this sermon from Sojourn Fairfax. If you have any questions, please feel free to email us at info at sojournfairfax.com. Go in peace.